If you want more from Dee and her sister and partner in crime, Rhonda, check out Switchblade Sisters Social Club, a true crime podcast where two sisters exploit their worst fears for your entertainment. You're welcome. This is the Wiener the Moon podcast, where we love all things empath, spiritual, witchy, unexplained, and spooky. Hosted by me, Dee Safie, co-founder of the Goddess Temple Twickenham, and joined by lots of special guests. Hi there, this is Dee from We Knew the Moon, where we love all things empath, spiritual, witchy, unexplained, and spooky. So I'm really excited. Some of you might remember Sarita from last season. She's back. Guess who's back? Oh, I can't afford that song. (laughs) (laughs) So Sarita is a content creator, podcaster, blogger, writer, comedian, actor, legend, wine aficionado, an amazing friend. So, so happy to have her back. I'll put her links in the show notes so you can check out how just how fucking fabulous she is. I think your favorite place to hang out is Instagram, isn't it? Hey, Sarita. That is my favorite place to hang out at the moment. Although things are changing. You're a bit TikToky now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm dabbling TikToks. It's a bit different. It's a bit more fun. Not more fun. It's fun on a different level. But yeah, you yeah. can find me on Instagram, on the gram, on the gram. But hello, hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming back. We have recorded before last season. Um, we did an episode on exorcisms, and that kind of influenced my decision on the topic today. Because for those of you who haven't heard those episodes that I did with Sarita, she's a huge horror fan, right? I am indeed. <laughs> and I am a huge spooky, spooky fan. So this is inspired by your love of scary movies. Um, okay. Can you remember, going back to that those recordings, what I said was one of the first horror films I ever watched? Oh, you put me on the spot. Oh, I can't remember. I know we spoke about Poltergeist and stuff. Well, the first mm-hmm. horror film that I like, it's more the first one I watched on my own. Anyways, it was the Amityville Horror. Oh, yes, I do remember. Right? I was like, yes, absolutely. The original, I Amazing. should say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. So can you guess the topic of this episode based on that little bit of information? Are we doing like haunting? like um close yeah pretty much I'm doing creepy houses oh oh I love creepy houses oh I love creepy houses Dee there's one near me near school and it's like on a corner and I refer to it as the um what's the name Sabrina the teenage witch house because I was like I've got plans for that house one day if it goes to sale I want to buy it because it does look absolutely witchy but yes okay this episode comes with photos so it's time for me to tell you that if you are if you sign up to the patreon any amount then you have access to all of the videos unedited full videos of season four podcast episodes so that's patreon.com forward slash we knew the moon go check it out literally sign up for any amount and you'll be able to see all of our hilarious reactions to things and photos (laughs) of these houses and so forth so did you have you just mentioned a house in your neighborhood now but did you have when you were a child that neighborhood house that everyone would talk about being spooky or haunted no and it's like it's a bit weird because everyone's got a everyone's lived near a spooky house I think because I lived in London there's just shit houses right what we just just have shit houses in London (laughs) well no I lived in Wembley so the area is very much like you know stadium and stuff like that there wasn't really many houses so I there was okay so I lived in a flat um on an estate and there was a flat that we as kids would play out um we would not go near that flat however not because of supernatural reasons they were just riddled with cockroaches and mice and I don't think they really looked after it and you know what happened they were there for like a couple of years I remember we didn't really play out with the kids um we didn't really it was probably not very nice back in those days but um we didn't play with them because yeah they were just really just not. But the council actually moved them out and then put like a metal door 
on that door. And I don't know what they did to it, but they never put anyone in there. And it was forever just not used. Big metal door that I've never seen before in my life on that door. So, yeah, we never actually saw that That's again. really weird. What happened but, in there? I know. But saying that, when I first moved to Colchester, um, we went to look at some houses. And there was one house I absolutely loved. It was massive, um, just off of the high street. So it was it was a bit weirdly located. It didn't have a garden, however. It was backed onto a cemetery. Ooh. And I got spooky vibes from that house. They had like um, massive wardrobes and stuff. So it kind of did remind me of um, oh, the Conjuring house. Yeah. I can't say the word. Amateurville. Amateurville. Yeah. Amateurville. Yeah, it reminded me of that house. So, you know, like the big wardrobes that they had. Yeah. Um, they still had those. You could see the graveyard right outside. And I was like, Oh, I'm cute. sure I would actually be scared living here, but it would be like joyfully scary. Yeah. <laughs> be like cute, creepy. Well, when I lived in Holland, we had a house that um, every time me and my friends used to cycle past it, we'd like cycle with our head facing away. We were like scared to even look at it. Um, but there are a few specific houses that have gained global notoriety for being haunted. And I'm going to start right. with the Amityville Horror House. Because it is a real house, and mm. the film was based on based on true events. Mm. Mm. That was me doing air quotes. <laughs> and it's the perfect example of where true crime and the strange and unexplained mix, which I love. So Amityville is an idyllic suburban area of Long Island, New York. Amity means friendship or kindness. The address is 112 Ocean Avenue, and it was a large Dutch colonial house. And in the 70s, it was home to the DeFeo family. I'm going to bring up, I'm going to share my screen and show you pictures, okay? Okay, close your eyes because I don't want you to see the other houses. Okay, I'm closing my eyes. For those that are listening, my eyes are closed. You can open them now. (gasps) Ooh, I'm okay. Right? And this black and white picture makes it look much creepier, right? (laughs) <laughs> but if you remember the, the other film, one looks creepier this one kind of makes it look a bit more wholesome <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> wow i mean it's a that, beautiful house yeah the, us saying it's creepy is totally us projecting what we kind of know is coming um because True. that house is fucking amazing um mm-hmm. so in the 70s the defeo family lived there we had father ronald mother louise and five children ronald jr who was 23 at the time of the incident, we'll call it. Don, who's 18, Allison, 13, Mark, 12, and John Matthew, who was nine. They all got biblical names. Yeah, well, so we've got Ronald Louise, Ronald and Louise, the parents, Ronald Jr. and Don, the oldest kids who are kind of adult kids, and then three younger children, basically. That's the important thing to remember. So around 6.30 on the 13th of November, 1974, So in the 70s, Ron Jr. ran into Henry's bar in Amityville Amityville, near his house and announced that his parents had been shot. A bunch of people kind of rallied and went back to the house and found the family dead and they called the police. So already it's a little bit weird that he didn't call the police right away from his house. Mm. but you never know how you're going to react. He might've freaked out. He might've thought there was someone still in the house. Who knows? Right. And obviously there's no Mm. cell phones, so he couldn't have called on the way or whatever. So the parents had been shot with a 35 caliber Marlin rifle. So very specific kind of gun at 3 AM earlier that day. Remember that Ron Jr. only went at 6 30 PM to raise the alarm. And what time did they get shot? Sorry. 3 30 in the morning. And Ron raises the alarm at 6.30. When the people got to the house, they realized it wasn't just the parents that had been shot. It was all the other kids as well. So basically, Ron is now the only survivor of his whole family. Him and the um, five kids and the parents, he's the only one left. All the victims, except for Don, were found lying face down in their beds. Which again is a weird point because... You would have thought once the shooting started that there would be time for the others to kind of react and respond and run away or whatever. It's very, it's just 
creepy that they're all lying face down. Now, the family had some baggage. Ron Sr., the father, was reportedly abusive to the kids and to the mum. Ron Jr., the one who, the survivor of the family and the one who raised the alarm, he had turned to substance abuse. He was using heroin. He was using LSD. Uh, not a good combination. I mean, not great. Not to say that drugs in any form is good, but yeah, those two together sounds a bit dangerous. Yeah. Ron Sr.'s brother, so the, dad, the uncle of the family, he had ties to the mafia. So there was also the suspicion that was this some kind of mob hit? Mm. That was dismissed really quickly because it seemed really random. Like, oh, they, the uncle is in the mafia, so they kill his brother's yeah. family. Yeah. Why would you not just go for the uncle and his family or whatever? Yeah. But the main reason why they dropped that theory was because Ron Jr.'s alibi and stories were changing by the minute. So the reason why he said that he only raised the alarm that evening was because he claimed to be at work, right? But then on the second day after the murders, Ron Jr. confessed to the killings. He told detectives, once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. Wow. So when you... Said the day earlier, I got my phone out. I wasn't texting because you said the 13th, the 13th, November 13th, 1974, right? I was like, mm, I wonder if that was a Friday. It wasn't Friday. It was a Wednesday. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> I was trying to say, it's going to be anticlimactic if it was like. Tuesday. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hub day though. Yeah, true. <laughs> it is a tough day of the week. <laughs> So Ron Jr. confessed to the murder the day after, confessed to the murder is plural. And mm. the following day, he says he then cleaned himself up, disposed of the evidence such as the cartridges and went to work as normal. At trial, Ron Jr. tried to plead insanity, that voices in his head told him to do it. But this didn't work. And he was found guilty of six counts of second degree murder, which I think means it wasn't premeditated. I think first degree murder in the States means you planned it and premeditated mm. it. He died in prison really recently. It was 2021. And the cause of death was never released, which is also creepy, right? I found that strange. Creepy or a bit of a cover-up? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yes, both. Because I found that strange. They normally release it, even if someone has killed themselves or whatever. So I never heard of that before, where they hide why a prisoner has died. No. Especially seeing as he was not a spring chicken by this point. So now like a lot of family annihilators in the cases, this one captured the imagination of the public. Thanks to Ron Jr. and his ever-changing stories, there was loads of scope of controversy and conspiracy theories and so forth. And one of the main confusing factors was that there was never a silencer on the gun, which like I said, the gun is meant to be like a beast of a gun. I don't know anything yeah. about guns, but it was a big hunting rifle type gun. You would hear the houses were not that far apart from each other that they wouldn't hear or did they hear it, but not report it. Also, how did he manage to kill his whole family without a struggle? Well, yeah, this is what I was thinking. Just waiting in their beds, waiting to be shot. It's very strange. Yeah. Especially when we find out that there were no traces of sedatives in their toxicology reports, because the other theory was, could they have been drugged? Right. Yeah. And okay, this is the 70s, so I'm sure toxicology analysis has developed dramatically since then, and they have to a little bit know what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. But the toxicology report said that there was nothing, and even though he claimed he drugged them, so you would have presumed that he told them, I I use this drug, look for this drug. Yeah. Ron Jr. also had a very difficult relationship with his father. He believed his father to be harsh and stingy. And some reports state that the father also had a really volatile and violent relationship with the mom. But if this was an act to protect the mom and possibly the other kids from the dad, why would he kill the mom too? But then Ron Jr. has also claimed on separate occasions, on some occasions he said that it was actually his mom who started the killing. And in other occasions, he said that it was his sister, Dawn, the 18-year-old sister, Dawn, who was responsible. He claimed at one time that his mom killed everyone and he took the blame because he didn't want people thinking negatively of his mom. Although she was dead. Yeah. Then he claimed that it was Dawn who who committed the murders with her boyfriend. And he killed Dawn because she killed everyone else. Okay. Oh, okay. Like, Mm. you know. 
he was annoyed that she killed everyone, so he killed her. But then why wouldn't you say the that? The boyfriend if, also? Where is the boyfriend? Yeah. Um, he later claimed that he committed the murders with Dawn and two friends because his parents were going to kill him. Dawn killed the kids, so there was no witnesses. And then he killed Dawn because he was angry that she did that. And you see, his ch- story is changing constantly. So, <laughs> Yeah, babes, pick yeah. one. Stick with it. So whatever happened... Obviously, it was horrendous, whatever happened. Mm. But here's where things get really, really strange. And I find this one of the strangest things to believe and understand. Only 13 months later, the Lutz family buy the home. Could you buy a murder home? Do you know what? I think, you know, I love houses. I love interiors. I would draw the line at buying a murder home. Even if especially it was like one Tempe, that, I would just be like, nah, mate. Especially nah. when it just happened. I feel like I would want an yeah. in-between family to live in the house to prove that there was no lingering bad shit or something. I don't know. Mm, at the very least. How many weeks? Like, what was it? 13? It was 13 months. 13 months. I imagine pretty much immediately, really, because I imagine mm. that the house would have been off the market while they yeah, did kind of invest investigation it obviously takes a couple of months for a sale to go through blah 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 so almost almost as soon as it was possible the Lutz family buy this home there was no way they didn't know what happened it was a very very public situation right you know Mm -hmm. it was in the papers it was a huge story at the time Mm. um so they bought the house for eighty-eight thousand dollars but here's another creepy fact they kept all the furniture including the beds that everyone was shot and killed in. That's just inviting stuff to happen. Come on. Creepy, right? I sleep on the floor before I put my kids in a bed that someone was murdered in. I mean, well, I would, I would be uncomfortable you know I mean? sleeping in a bed where a murder hasn't happened. So <laughs> for me, this is just like, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know anything about the the long market, the Long Island um, real estate market in the 70s, but I'm guessing that the price was really, really, that it, it had a serious reduction. Um, oh, you know. Now, back in those days, 88,000, or is it like 1,000 in those days? Sounds quite expensive, no? It does, but this is for a five-bedroom house with a pool, a canal, and a boathouse. Okay. So I'm all guessing. right. All right. Yeah, that's probably quite cheap. Even yeah, yeah, that would probably be like loads more. Yeah, in those days. But here's the thing: the Lutzes lasted 28 days before fleeing the house. <sighs> 28 days later, babes. Yeah. So the Lutzes, if you haven't guessed, they are the family that Amityville Horror film, the original, is based on. Their time in this house. So here's a list of some of the things that supposedly happened to them in their less than one month stay in this house, right? The father, George, would wake up every morning at 3.15, the exact time of the DeFeo murders. There would be swarms of flies in the house. The mother, Kathy Lutz, would have nightmares about the DeFeo murder. It's like, yeah, well, maybe that's because you fucking bought a murder house. <laughs> You're sleeping Literally. in their bed. <laughs> Literally. Um, They felt presences quite often and they sometimes saw them. The kids started acting strangely, like the daughter Missy had a demonic friend called Jody. They heard slamming doors. Kathy would have marks appearing on her body. George (sighs) would witness Kathy levitating in her sleep. Green slime would ooze from the walls. Um, The toilets would fill with black sludge. And the crucifixes on the walls would revolve. So some of those things you might remember from the film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that was happening, I'd fucking get the fuck out too. But as we established, I wouldn't be there in the first place. Right. It's like cut your losses. But yeah, you decided to do that. You wasted all your money. So the the Lutzes even got a priest in to bless the house. But the priest supposedly heard a voice shout at him to get out. And... Afterwards, the priest supposedly suffered from stigmata, which is the wounds of Christ on the hands and the feet and the crown of thorns. But it turns out this priest was a charlatan who'd basically been banned from performing religious duties previously. So he didn't even bless the house properly then? 
probably not. <laughs> and it soon came out that actually the entirety of the Lutz's story was a hoax. Oh, so really? Yeah, let me tell you. So wait, I mean, why did they move out? Still a great film, but I'll tell you. So Jay oh. Anson is an author who wrote the original Amityville Horror book, which was published in 1977. And even though it was a novel, it was often promoted as nonfiction, like it was a, a book about, um, mm. you know, the, the murders and then the following hauntings. So this book is 77. So it's only a couple of years after the DeFeo murders. And it's only a couple of years later that the film came out in 1979. Mm -hmm. So it's just a really quick turnaround. So the hype is still people, you know, it's still fresh in people's minds, the whole Mm. DeFeo murders and so forth. Anson had supposedly recorded 45 hours of interviews with the Lutzes. Now, surprise, surprise, the Lutzes were in debt. George had already been curious about paranormal activity and supposedly thought up this hoax with Anson himself. Uh, Right? Clever. Man. Nothing notable has happened in this house since the Lutz has left. Um, It was bought by a local family and the address was changed from 112 Ocean Avenue to 108 Ocean Avenue because the address was just so infamous. Now, I found an amazing podcast while I was researching this episode. It's um, Daisy Egan's Strange and Unexplained. was searching for podcast episodes on spooky houses and found uh, this podcast by coincidence. It's their very, the very first episode, and it's called The Watcher House. Mm-hmm. So moving on to next creepy house, right? Ooh. Have you ever heard yeah. of The Watcher House? No, I haven't. Okay. Is there a film? <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I put it in my notes. So Amityville Horror House, genuine, horrible crimes that were committed there, followed by hauntings that turned out to be a hoax. Mm. The Watcher House, a little bit different. So I recommend that podcast episode anyways, because her voice mm. actor is a creepy fucker, which really added <laughs> to the story. But this story is another Dutch colonial house. So I'm going to bring up the picture and share. Oh, my- I'll close my eyes again. Okay, open. It kind of reminds me of a smaller version of the um, Home Alone house. Yeah. So again, it's it's a similar style to the Amityville Horror House, and it is a gorgeous house, I think. Mm. Right? Yeah, it's stunning. So that is the Watcher House. So this is a story of this Dutch colonial house only 60 miles away from Amityville. So again, very, very close. But if you don't know, if you haven't got an architecture degree and you don't know what a Dutch colonial house looks like, uh, picture like a fancy Amish barn. Or as Sarita said, smaller versions (laughs) of the Home Alone house. (laughs) This house had six bedrooms. So it's a massive family home. And the address was 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey. So it's less than 28 miles from Manhattan. So it's in sort of commuter belt or whatever. And about 10 years ago, the Broadus family, um, Derek and his wife, Maria, Derek was an insurance executive, executive and his wife, Maria, were super excited to buy this house and move in with their young children. That is until they started getting letters from the watcher. Dun, dun, dun. Right. So in 2014, yeah. the Broadus has paid 1.35 million for this house in Maria's hometown. They had massive renovations planned before they were moving in. So they moved in their furniture, but they are living elsewhere until the majority of the work was completed. Just a couple of days after the sale was completed, they found a letter in their mailbox addressed to the new owner. And I'm going to read you this letter now. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Some of the letter. Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. So far, so good, right? Mm. Okay, that's where the good shit ends. (laughs) Carry on. (laughs) My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s and my father watched it in the 60s. It's now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tsk, 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 bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. You have children. I have seen them. 
So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Once I know their names, I will call them and draw them to me. Who am I? There are hundreds of hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I'm in one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. The Watcher. Okay. Not. I mean. Not, at this point, no. I'm fucking selling the house already. Yeah. I'm gone. Bye. It's been I'm fun. gone. So who is the Watcher? Is there an ending to this? Or is it, this just. Well, it didn't end there. The Broadduses received a total of three letters, all making it very clear that they and their house and their family and their children were being stalked by this person. Here are some, I'm not going to read you all three letters, but I'm going to read you some of the creepiest excerpts, okay? Okay. Do you need to fill the house with young blood? I requested. Better for me. Was your old house too small for your growing family or was it greed to bring me your children? 657 is anxious for you to move in. It's been years and years since young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? I hate the term young blood. Yeah, this person needs, well, a life, obviously, but some um, help, some help. Okay, going back to the bit where you're like, my grandfather, my father, now it's my turn. You mean the help just never was received ever, so they just passed it down amongst generations. Generational Making this seem normal, too. Yeah. No, it's just just our family job. All right. (laughs) I'm going to carry on. I've got a couple more creepy things. Okay. All the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. (sighs) Next one. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. Ooh. Oh, okay, this one. Maybe Uh a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bikes crash. Bones break. Will the young blood play in the basement or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I was them. It's far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Oh my gosh, I'd have to move. Right? No. Will they sleep in the attic or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. What if I go against this house? Have a happy moving in day. You know I'll be watching. So <laughs> imagine, yeah. You you know how like bidding wars happen for houses and you get gazumped or whatever. Imagine it was just some person that really wanted this house and they couldn't afford it. So like they were just annoyed. Yeah. Gonna seek revenge (laughs) until I get my house. Well, maybe. Yeah, because it does seem like this guy loves the house. Yeah. Yeah. And he's taking exception to the people moving in or wanting to make sure that they do things properly. Okay, so if they were like, you need to be careful of this house, guys, like, blah, blah, blah. it doesn't come across that way. It's like he's actually trying to get them out and really offended that they're living in this house. So look, this is the uh, creepy, creepy phrase as well. So the, mm-hmm. the people that used to live there were called the Woods. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. So the Broadduses... They asked the previous owners if they knew about the Watcher. Because it's like, Uh-oh. why don't you fucking tell us about this creep, you know? <laughs> they said they only got one letter when they were already moving out. And it's like, mm, oh. I call bullshit on that, you know? Hmm. So the Broadduses understandably contacted the police at some point, And they focused their efforts on a neighbor called Michael Lamford, who was an eccentric who could see the house from his. But he denied involvement. The family hired a private investigator as well. 
I know, right? You would, wouldn't you? If you're going to stay, yeah. you fucking do anything, right? Yeah. He did background checks on all the neighbors and found nothing either. Analyzing the writing style made investigators believe they were looking for an older person and they thought it unlikely they would act on their threats. That for me would not be good enough. Oh, you think it's no. unlikely, do you? I'll just wait yeah. here and see if you're right or wrong yeah. with my small children. That word unlikely doesn't not give me any confidence, to be yeah. honest. Unlikely. So mm. the Broadduses couldn't sell their home immediately. I don't know whether for financial reasons or whatever. So they rented it out. And then in 2017, they received another letter which listed all the ways in which they might be struck by tragedy, including the car accident, fire, etc. What I read that excerpt to you. So the family filed charges against the Woods, that's the previous family that lived in that house, and the two companies involved in the sale, claiming that info about the watcher had been intentionally kept from them. Mm -hmm. The Woods countersued, claiming they were smearing their reputation, but all the claims were thrown out of court in 2019. 2019? Yeah. Wait, when did this happen? 2014. They bought the house. It's recent, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, so that, that would freak me out even more. It's not even olden days, but now there's social media. You can do background checks and just stalk. I didn't realize. So they still in the house. What's going on? I need to know. Right. <laughs> so you're going to hate this, but we still don't know who the watcher is. We do have a million theories thanks to the internet, as you said. Was it a buyer or a realtor who missed out on the deal, as you mm. thought? Mm. Was it, this one creeps me the fuck out, was it someone living in the attic or walls of the house? Don't, I hate that. I've seen a film like that. Don't, I hate that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're, you'll like this. Was it the Broadduses themselves in a kind of Lutz-style publicity stunt? Mm-hmm. It's soon to be a Netflix show with Naomi Watts and one of my favorites, Jennifer Coolidge, premiering this <gasps> summer. So was it a plan mm-hmm. to make money? Oh, oh no, but I'm so invested in this Netflix series or film. Um, I've got Netflix show, so I don't know whether oh, yeah. I mean so, film yeah. or series. But it must yeah, be a series. I love Jennifer. Oh, okay. That is good. All right. That's on my list. But whatever happened, the Broadduses sold the house in 2019. So only about five years after they originally bought it at a $400,000 loss. Wow. The buyers remain anonymous, probably, so they can just live their freaking lives. It also mm. means we don't know whether the watcher continues to watch. Yeah. Are they getting letters now? Don't know. They're anonymous. They stayed out of it. I don't know whether they haven't received anything, whether they're waiting for the film to come out. Because what I noticed was that there's loads of recent articles about this house, and it's probably because there's this TV show coming out soon. Mm. So when the show comes out, don't know whether Ugh. we'll get more stuff about other people that have lived in the house over the decades since the grandfather's been the watcher. Who knows? But also, all of this publicity opens up the floodgates for people that will do hoaxes and send them letters, surely. I know. Who knows what's going to happen? But just like Amityville Horror House, whether all of it is true or not, every single part of it is creepy and fucked up. Yeah, I'd hate it. I, that would, yeah, I wouldn't want to stay in that house. I would have to move. I would have to move. Just someone watching you all the time. I know. And they didn't buy a murder house. It's just a normal house. Like, yeah. Yeah. They were angry that they didn't know about this shit before, you know? Yeah. Okay. So finally, I want to move on to the Los Feliz house, which is also an amazing episode on that Strange and Unexplained uh, podcast with Daisy Egan. Mm-hmm. But this is an LA house and I want to, to yeah, just move it over to the West Coast for a bit. So it's in California in an area of LA called Los Feliz. And we are going back, back, back before the Amityville Horror Story. We're going to 6th of December, 1959. Okay, okay. And the owner of a mansion in Los Feliz, Dr. Harold Perelson, killed his wife with a hammer and attacked his 18-year-old daughter as well, and then took his own life. Mm. Now, his 18-year-old daughter luckily survived, but that is a fucking gruesome story. So supposedly, this Dr. Harold Perelson, he had financial difficulties, and there's a lot of confusion over how the doctor killed himself. Some people say poison, some people say acid. 
I mean, I don't really get that because I kind of think like, why would a doctor kill himself in such a gruesome, painful way? That's true. He would have access to all sorts. Like, go sleep, won't see you again. Yeah. Peacefully. Unless he wanted to punish himself. Who knows? Martyrism, martyrism, whatever. So again, one of the creepiest parts of the story is that a year later, Emily and Julian Enriquez buy the house. Mm. Again, they 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 would have known about the murder in the, in the house and the murder suicide and mm-hmm. attack on the daughter. But here's the really strange bit: There's they a... never moved in. They just used this house as storage. Neighbors saw them coming and going occasionally, bringing boxes by, but they never stayed the night. And they left the house pretty much untouched. And when I say untouched, I mean with all of the furniture from the Perelson family. So why would you, you must be very rich to have a house of storage. Where right? would they live? Now I'm going to, you don't have to close your eyes for this, oh. but I'm going to show, share my screen so you can see this okay. house. It's not a tiny pokey house. It's yes. a massive house oh, in LA. Oh, that's pretty. Oh, it's yeah, giving me LA vibes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's super cute house. It's big. Can't be cheap. Even a tiny pokey house in LA, you're going to have to have some money to be able to just use it as storage, right? Absolutely. So they owned this house for almost 40 years and never lived in it, never rented it out. And then in 1994, when um, both of that couple were deceased, their son Rudy inherited it. And he also never stayed in it, never rented it out and made no changes to the house. I, it's baffling, isn't it? So neighbors reported that not a single change had been made inside. You can still see, and this is rumors, how much of this is true, but you could still see a Christmas tree up. You could still see presents wrapped underneath. So that's the urban legend. But there was for Mm. sure one fact is that there was still all the old furniture. There was a time where Rudy just kept cats there and would go back and forth to feed the cats. I mean, this mansion in LA. My cat. Right? This mansion in LA, basically home to two cats, and that's it. No humans. But you know what's really, really weird? The Schumachers Mm. built the house in the 1920s, and both the husband and wife died within four months of each other in the house. And then the house was left untouched for decades. So this house has started off with a kind of spooky vibe to it. Then later on, one of the tenants died of an infection at age 22. And then we have the Perelsons and we know what happened there. So this house is like creepy and unexplained right off the bat. There's an amazing podcast whole series just on this one house called the Los Feliz Murder Mansion, which really delves into... um, the facts and also what parts are kind of more urban legend, like the presence wrapped underneath the tree, et cetera. So I don't definitely recommend checking that out if you want to do a proper deep dive. For me, the biggest mystery is actually who would buy such an amazing house, albeit a bit of a murder house, and use it for storage and cats. Yeah, like why? That makes no sense. And not even rent it out. It's crazy, right? Um, According to the Lost Feliz Murder House podcast, Rudy, the son of the Enriquez's, who bought the house after the murder-suicide, did in fact live in the house. But none of the neighbors cooperate that. So, again, it's, it's all really strange. I mean, it's pretty obvious, I think, when your neighbors are actually residing in the house. I don't know. Where the murders reside, where the murders reside, where the murders reside, where the murders reside. I mean, I don't get it. I sounds like a lot of people watching that place and not minding their own business. Because how do they absolutely swear a hundred percent that he wasn't sleeping there? Like, suppose he had like a really long job and got in early hours of the morning with stuff. I don't know. I don't know, but you would see cars coming and going. I guess and they had none of that, so it's very strange. But when I mm. tell you that it's creepy that the Enriquez who bought the house after the murder-suicide, when I tell you it's creepy that they left all the furniture and all of the furniture, fixtures, fittings, everything, I'm going to show you why that's super creepy. Because some of it was still 
covered in blood. No. So this is, this is the creepiest part. This is the light switch from Judy's room. Judy being the 18-year-old oh, daughter. Gross. She got attacked by her father, but survived. This is the light switch from her room. You can see how cute, but it's got fucking blood stains mm. on it. And that was only stolen from the house by, <laughs> by someone fangirling up after a reality TV star who wanted it. Oh Long God. story, check out the podcast. But it was only stolen from the house very recently. So that had been up there the entire time. Even without the blood stains, I find it creepy that it's so personalized yeah. to this victim of this horrendous yeah. crime. Even That'd though she gone. survived. Yeah, I would, if I obviously had whatever reasons, maybe I needed to buy a house and it was a murder house. You know, we don't, cost of living is going up. I might have to buy a murder yeah. house. We might change our policy on living in a murder house. Yeah, if I saw all that stuff, it's going, it's going. Even if I had no possessions in the world, everything's going. I would... I would uh, give it to Goodwill, a charity, but I'd, it'd come with a warning. Otherwise, we're just having a bonfire, sprinkling some good stuff on that, and full moon, releasing, gone. Releasing never. the fuck Absolutely out of it. Absolutely never. Conduits, please. Yeah. I have learned too much. Never. Never. Absolutely. I know. But if you bought a house and it had a light switch and it had the person that lived there before you, I'd be like, no thanks, get out. Yeah gone yeah exactly it's just so bizarre humans are weird (laughs) (laughs) totally so i'm gonna move on now to the lemp mansion and brewery thanks to haunted places podcast have you heard of this one i had a no no where's brewery i mean it is a brewery it's a, a mansion and brewery oh i thought it was like a place called brewery it's a word i struggle to say brewery Brewery. So yes, I don't know why I, I picked a case that I have to say this word a lot. Brewery. That's what I'm trying to say. The place where beer is made, right? <laughs> this house, it's now a tourist site. So if you go on Google Maps, you can actually see it, it as a tourist site. It's it's labeled as the haunted house. It's in mm. uh, St. Louis, Missouri. So we're back in the States because I don't think anyone does haunted houses quite like them. And the address, because we've given the address out to all the other houses, is 3322 mm-hmm. De Menil Place. And it was the home of the Lemp family. Surprise, surprise, being called the Lemp Mansion. So it was also home of the William J. Lemp Brewing Company. Now, some Americans might be familiar with that name if you are an American beer drinker. I'm neither, so I didn't know mm. this. But it was a very, very successful business before the prohibition in the States when they outlawed alcohol. The house was built in 1890, which we know for the States is fucking ancient. And all of these houses are like, they're they're old for Americans. And the Lemps lived here until about 1949. I'm going to show you the house. It's a very different style. I also think this one is super cute. Oh, that's so pretty. Right? Wow. If that was here in London, they would have turned that into about 20,000 flats. <laughs> I know, right? Studio flats. But look, yeah. it's got some weird uh, tower or curve yeah. at the back. It looks really nice. That is really nice. Yeah. So the Lemps lived here until 1949. Then it became a boarding house and some of the grounds and the structures were destroyed for the construction of Interstate 55 in the 1960s. The building is currently a restaurant and an inn owned by the Pointer family. So if you are in the area, you can go and have a meal there and have a little tour because they take advantage of the spooky nature and the spooky history of the building to hold murder mystery dinners and ghost tours. But you're probably wondering what makes it spooky, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't told you anything spooky yet. Let me tell you. Okay. We're going to start with Adam Lemp. He was born in Germany in 1798, and he arrived in the U.S. in 1836. He started his American dream as a grocer, opening a store in St. Louis called A. Lemp & Co. And he also sold his own brand of vinegar and beer. Now, As someone who doesn't like beer, I don't really think I would notice if I got the two confused. But by 1940, he'd worked out where the money was at and focused on the beer and started his own brewery, which he called the Western Brewery. (laughs) There was a really large German population in the area. 
And his German beer was rare in the US. So this German population were obviously a huge fan of having this sweet taste of home. And St. Louis was a really good place for this because they had underground caves, which were used for natural refrigeration, which I thought was pretty cool. Get it? (laughs) Very good. Very good. Thanks. Adam's son, William Sr., was also born in Germany in 1835, just before the Lemps moved together to the U.S., and he went on to study at St. Louis University and worked at the Western Brewery as well. But he left to form a partnership with another brewery. And in 1862, when Adam Lemp, his dad, died, William returned to Western Brewery to run it himself. He expanded the brewery and it actually became the largest one in St. Louis, eventually with the beer being sold worldwide. Then we come to 1890 and they moved into their new Lemp mansion, which is the mm-hmm. one that I showed you. By 1892, though, they renamed Western Brewery to the William J. Lemp Brewing Company with William Sr. as the president and his son, William Jr., as the vice president and the other son, Louis, as the superintendent, which kind of sounds a little bit like a made up job for the least favorite son. (laughs) Actually, it was his fourth son, Frederick, that he hoped would take over the company. But in 1901, Frederick died of heart failure. And William Sr. was devastated. So in 1904, only a couple, few years later, he took his own life and committed suicide by gunshot. Oh, wow. Sorry, I want to rephrase that because I know saying that committing suicide is not okay. Um, he performed suicide. Oh, that's not good either. What is it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, he took his life by gunshot. Let's say that. Right, right. You've got good intentions there, Dee. We'll, we'll, the listeners will understand. Thank you. I hope so. But this was just the beginning of a series of tragedies that, to hit this family. So already we have the son dying young and the, the father taking his own life. William Jr. then took over the brewing company as president. He had a protracted, messy divorce from his wife that saw him losing any custody of their son, William III. So William Jr. Jr. Lots of Williams in the story. Mm. Then in 1920s, the U.S. entered one of the darkest times, the Prohibition. So the brewery was shut down and sold. So William Jr. shot himself in the office. Oh, wow. December 29th, 1924. Whoa. But we're not done yet. Elsa Lemp was the youngest child of William Sr. She married Thomas Wright in 1910, but filed it for divorce in 1919, claiming the marriage was damaging her mental and physical health. The divorce was granted, but then they reconciled and remarried in 1920. Mm. So they were filing for divorce. Yeah, filing for divorce in 1990, got divorced, reconciled, remarried in 1920. You and I have both been through a divorce. Yeah. I don't know how they do it this fast. Money? Is it money? When you have money, you can make it go through faster? Because I don't know. Or if you just like say, I don't want anything, like, yeah, just parting ways like I did. Mine's quite quick. I was just like, I don't want anything. Don't give me anything. Bye. Done. Well, mine just felt like it was dragging on and on. I like physically wouldn't have legally wouldn't have been able to divorce and get remarried this quick. But anyways, (laughs) so they got married, remarried really quickly. But then later that same month that she got remarried, Elsa shot herself in bed. Not in the Lemp Mansion, but this is another tragedy associated with this really unfortunate family. Mm-hmm. And there are theories that this was murder masked as suicide. Mm. I mean, if you think, if she's saying that the marriage is damaging her mental and physical health, you can yeah. interpret quite a lot in there, whether there was violence involved or not, but it's just horrifying. Charles Lemp, the third son of William Sr., was the final Lemp to live in the mansion. He was in banking and finance, and he was dipping his toes in and out of politics. But April 1941, Charles Lemp sent a letter to the South St. Louis Funeral Home requesting that in case of his death, his Mm. remains should be taken by ambulance to the Missouri crematory. Mm -hmm. His body should not be bathed, clothed, or changed. His ashes should be put into a wicker box and buried on his farm. There's no funeral to be held or notice to be put in the papers. I mean, you might think that, oh, this is just him being organized and his expression of wishes. I mean, I have done this myself, Mm -hmm. FYI. Uh, When I die, I would like 
not to have a religious ceremony of any kind, and I want Queen to be played instead of hymns. Oh, Queen. Yeah, not the yeah. Queen, but Queen. Yeah. yeah, I was like, where are you going there? You don't yeah. want to be religious, but you're going to be very patriotic. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, who knows what happened on my deathbed? <laughs> so some people express their wishes for the funeral or whatever. So this doesn't sound that weird, but then it's a bit morbid when you think that eight years later, he too shot himself in the head, leaving the following <sighs> suicide note, St. Louis, Missouri, May 9th, 1949, in case I am found dead, blame it on no one but me, Charles A. Lemp. Mm, was it definitely his writing? I guess so. I didn't find anything that queried whether it was him that wrote that or not. It just seems very strange to say, don't blame anyone else. Did he think someone else would be suspected? Was he forced to write this? Or is he just saying, look, I committed suicide. Don't think, you know, I this was a suicide. Don't look anywhere else. Don't waste your energy, your time, your police resources looking at anyone else. So, yeah, apparently the house is still haunted as a result of that. That's my creepy houses for you. What did you think? Which one was the creepiest to you? Wow. Well, I think I didn't like the the Watcher one. That's that's like modern day creepy because you don't know who they are. And there's so many ways to stalk someone. Not like I'm talking from experience. But just the fact that no one knew who it was and the fact that it was obviously quite recently. Yeah, I didn't like all that. That's just quite creepy. But obviously, I would have said the first one, Amityville. Amityville. But then, as you said, it was a hoax. And I was like a bit disappointed, really, if I'm honest. I'm I'm sorry to break your heart that the Amityville hauntings were a hoax. I'm sure that house has creepy vibes. Yeah, yeah. Presence I mean, felt, I definitely would have felt presence and stuff like that. But when you said the slime, that's when I was like, hmm, really? I don't know, you know. That was the only thing that I like side eyed the slime. I mean, slime just reminds me of Ghostbusters and stuff, paranormal stuff. You don't really see slime. Well, this ectoplasm is apparently a yeah. thing. But... but is it green slime? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, they perhaps took it too far. But yeah, would we still be talking about it if it wasn't for them? True. That's true. Absolutely not. And plus there was films. We wouldn't have had the film, really. We wouldn't have had the films, exactly. The book. Yeah. Well, thank you. I enjoyed that. Really excited because you are coming back for another episode. We will see you next week. You will. Yes. Thank Yay. you. Take care. Right. And until then. Until then. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. We Know the Moon is the official podcast for the Goddess Temple Twickenham. Don't forget, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. You can also visit our website, weknowthemoon.co.uk, for all of our upcoming events and merch. If you sign up for any amount on our Patreon, you'll be able to watch our video recordings of our podcast from season four onward. With all the raw bits, That usually means more swearing. Thanks for listening.